We looked at Daniel chapter 1 last week, and this week we will be focusing on the first half or two-thirds of Daniel chapter 2. Oftentimes, again, these are familiar stories to many of you who have grown up in the church, but I trust that the Lord will use them to bless it, to give you a blessing this morning. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's Word. It is holy. It is inerrant. It is authoritative. And it is sufficient. Daniel, chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be lain in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh." Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. 
He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation." Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, Or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in the bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he reveals, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than any than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use this word from Daniel to impress upon us your power, your wisdom and your might. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you noticed that the world around us is quite restless? Restless about the economy. Companies don't want to undertake projects. Consumer spending is down because people are unsure of what is to happen. You turn on the news or open a newspaper And you read about stories that perhaps the country of Iran may have nuclear weapons. You flip the page and you hear that terrorists from Guantanamo are going to be brought onto our soil and tried in a courtroom in New York. We hear about all of the difficulties that are happening in China, who we're not quite sure if they're a friend or an enemy, not quite sure if they're helping us or seeking our harm. There is a lot of unease In the world around us. And it's different from the difficulties that we faced 20 or 30 years ago. Isn't it? The economy now just seems so much more perilous than in other bad economic times like the early 80s or the late 70s when unemployment was high and interest rates were not 5 or 6%, they were 18%. And we almost find ourselves longing for the day when we were opposed by the Soviet Union. Because at least we knew where we stood. There was us, and there was them. It was pretty simple. But now we're not sure. What plan, what role does Russia have to play? Or China? Or Pakistan? Or India? 
there's a lot of unrest in the world. And as we look out, we can be frightened, we can be concerned, we can be paralyzed, or we can look and see this as an opportunity from the living God to live out our faith and to testify that the Lord God is the King of the nations. That's kind of what's happening to Daniel and his friends here this morning. They are in grave danger. And the Lord uses this. The Lord has planned this. The Lord has decreed this. That He might be glorified. That His glory might be seen and His power and sovereignty acknowledged. And so what I would like us to see this morning are three things. First, we will look at a restless world. A world that is restless. A world in turmoil. And then we will look at a reassuring servant. How Daniel is reassuring in the midst of this restlessness. And then finally we will see a ruling God. A restless world, a reassuring servant, and a ruling God. Well, let's look then first and see at the restlessness of the world that we are faced with. We see it first in the fact that a disturbing dream comes up. Nebuchadnezzar spends the night without rest. He is troubled in spirit and he has a dream. And the language makes you think of perhaps you've had one of these nights where you are sleeping and you sleep on your left side and then you toss over to the right and you toss back to the left and you pull up all the blankets and then you're too hot and you take two blankets off and then you're too cold so you pull them back up. And you can't get any rest. And it's almost like you'd rather be out running a race than trying to sleep. You should be resting. But it's an expense of energy and an agitation. That's what's happening here to Nebuchadnezzar. Because you see, Nebuchadnezzar is in every way that could be measured on top of the world. He has great power, wealth, and might. He is the wealthiest, most powerful king in this part of the world Period. He has no rival. As you recall, when we looked a few weeks ago, he has rebuilt Babylon into a city that glitters. Everything about it is first class. Gigantic. Huge. He has done this because every war he has fought, he has won. And won incredibly. And he has nations that are tribute to him. But the problem is that this expansionist policy also carries with it some concerns. You see, because when you have so much, you start worrying if someone's going to take it away. Or if you might lose it or misplace it. You might even be like Alexander the Great, one who weeps because there are no worlds left to conquer. You see, having everything does not solve life's problems. Having everything does not bring peace of heart. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar is experiencing. You see, the power of a dream is it makes us feel helpless. Even the mighty King Nebuchadnezzar, he's not in control. It's something that comes upon him in his sleep. We might look at Nebuchadnezzar, great king of Babylon, and see instead a child who's afraid of the dark. It's not in his control. He doesn't know what to do. And this is something that would happen at times to kings and empires. As a matter of fact, in this area of the world, they had cooks and maids, and they had statesmen and soldiers, and they had dream interpreters. 
They had a division, the Babylonian Department of Dream Interpretation. And there were a bunch of them. And you can see they're called by all kinds of names. And this is true not just of Babylon. It was true of Assyria. It was, would be true of Persia in times to come. In Greece, that great western country, they had entire temples set up to dream interpretation. And there was an expectation that there would be someone that would reveal what was being said. And so the question here is, who is speaking in this dream? Well, as we go through here and we look at the end, we see that it is the Lord God. And maybe that raises a question in your mind. If the Lord God is speaking, if he is revealing, why is he using a stinking pagan like Nebuchadnezzar? One who's looted his temple. Take it off the cream of the crop of the Judeans. What is God doing revealing his will to this pagan? I mean, you've got Daniel there. What about Hananiah? Or Mishael? Or Azariah? Surely they could hear these things from the Lord. Why is God using a pagan and not a prophet? Well, I want you to remember something we talked about a few weeks ago. Look at verse 4, where it says, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. And there's almost a sense in that this translation is just slightly off. That it may not be just that they said something in Aramaic, but that here this is a marker like a dot or a note in the margin. The Aramaic starts here. And it doesn't stop, you recall, till the end of chapter 7. Why is that? Because Aramaic was the language of the nations. You see, God is speaking in Aramaic here and through Nebuchadnezzar because he is about to tell the nations who he is. That he is not simply just some God who is a God of a tribe or a small people. He's not just one amongst many gods. He is the only true God. And this is why he has done this. The question for you then is, do you look for God everywhere? Or do you think when you leave this building, you leave him behind? Knowing you can get back to him. Do you look for God, not just in the Bible, though you should, but in the books you read, in the conversations you have? Do you look for the handprint of God all throughout the world? Because you see, the Lord God will not be confined to one area. He is king over all. And so this is a concern Nebuchadnezzar has. He is disturbed and unsettled. And he brings in the solutionless sorcerers. And they've got this down pat. They come in and they know exactly how to schmooze the king. At least they think. Oh, king, live forever. Now, the interesting thing about that is it's a statement that everybody knows is not true. And everybody knows that the sorcerers really don't want the king to live forever. Right? Because as soon as he dies, they're going to say it to the next in line. This is just something that is sort of you say. It's, it's polite conversation. And, and they continue their polite conversation. They say, well, king, if you want us to interpret the dream, we'd be happy to oblige. Just tell us the dream. We'll give you the interpretation. It's kind of like if you had a fortune cookie and you had a question on the front half, you need to question before you could turn it over and find the answer on the back. It's perfectly reasonable, don't you think? Makes it all the more odd, all the more odd the way Nebuchadnezzar responds. But 
This is also a reminder to us of their role in the universe. Look at verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has ever asked anything like this. The thing the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now think about that. They say, King, this is an impossible task. We're just people. Men can't do this, only the gods. And there's such a distance between God and men. The gods don't dwell with flesh. Now, perhaps you're getting a little bit of a sneak preview as your mind begins to think to next month. Could God dwell among men? Could any God dwell with flesh? Certainly not to the wisest men of the largest empire in the world. No, this is something that cannot be done. And then Nebuchadnezzar breaks out in wrath beyond belief. He says, let me tell you what you're going to do. You'll not only tell me the interpretation, you'll tell me the dream. And if, if you don't, we're not going to have a needle with a lethal injection. <laughs> no, no, no. We're not going to give you a pill or smother you. No, no, no. I'm going to rip your arms and your legs off. And you'll die that way. And then your house, I'm going to bulldoze it. And probably that means everyone that's inside, I'll kill. Talk about pressure. <laughs> this is not the big report that's due on Tuesday. This is, whoa, wait a minute here. And, and they beg for some relief. But Nebuchadnezzar just gets angrier and angrier. And so we're left to think about why is this the case. I think first it's because he is insecure. There is an insecurity in Nebuchadnezzar. Now think about that. This is the most powerful man in the known world. And he is trying... To create not only a great empire, he is trying to create an eternal empire. An empire that will last beyond him, that will never cease. And so this is incredibly disturbing to him, this dream, that something could happen to upset his plans. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, to use the cliche, is living solely for the world. And when we do that, it makes us feel fragile. No matter how many bulletproof vests no matter how many piles of money, no matter how many things we have. You can't stop that voice that, gnaw, that gnaws at the back of your head. You can't stop that whisper in your ear. You see, his ambition and purpose moves with the world as it changes. And he can't find solid footing. We might put it this way. Nebuchadnezzar is the exact opposite of Paul. When we looked at Philippians 4, where Paul said, I could be rich, I could be poor, I could be healthy, I could be sick. In all things, I am content. Not so Nebuchadnezzar. Very insecure. It's not just insecurity, though. There's also a real anger that's in him. He has anger issues. That's because a lack of control or a lack of contentment brings out anger in us. And if we're honest, we don't need to be king of Babylon for that to happen in our lives. When things spin out of control, when we're worried we can't get everything done, when we're concerned that we can't control the situation, oftentimes, if not always, anger breaks out. Sometimes it breaks out 
in yelling and screaming, if you're Italian. Sometimes it breaks out in tight-lipped teeth as we keep it inside. But when we don't have control, anger begins to build in our soul. And you see this, Nebuchadnezzar is angry at the wise men. He doesn't trust them at all. And he's got to know what he's asking is impossible. And this is not what is in my pocket. This is not what color am I thinking of. He's asking them to come up with a dream and give the interpretation with no information. Have you ever felt like you're in that position? Where somebody's asked you the impossible? And you have no idea how you could possibly pull that off? And the stakes are high? And the pressure is on? We'll see how Daniel deals with that in a minute. It's anger at the wise men. It's also anger at God. Because, ironically, the wise men saying, Your Majesty... Nobody can do this. There's not a man in the world that can do this. Reminds Nebuchadnezzar that he's a man. And that he's not God. Nebuchadnezzar wants to think he's God. He wants an eternal kingdom. He wants power and wealth. He wants everyone under his control. And you see, that's a reminder that, sorry king, you're not God. And so this also causes rage to build up in him because, after all, the very fact that there was a dream reminds Nebuchadnezzar that his heart, his mind, is not hidden from someone. Someone knows his heart. Someone knows his thinking. Someone is after him in his dreams. Think about the paranoia of that. And into this situation steps Daniel, the reassuring servant. Now, Remember what's going on here. Daniel and his friends had completed their coursework in Babylon. We see that in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. And this meant that they were supposed to have wisdom. Babylonian certified wisdom. But it also meant that they had responsibility. They had jobs. They had tasks. They had to do what the king asked them to do. And it also meant they had relationships. They had gone to school with some of these wise men. They perhaps were friends. And so what happens is Daniel is dragged into the picture when he's completely without fault and doesn't even know what is going on. Now, think about that. Daniel wakes up one morning and someone comes who tells him that there's a decree to execute him. Well, why? What happened? He's completely without fault and he's completely without knowledge. Now, has that ever happened to you? Perhaps sometimes, kids, you feel like that. Like you're being blamed for something, it's not your fault. And you try as hard as you can to say, you know, it was really my brother. You know my sister did that. And those cries fall on deaf ears, right? You're completely without fault. And maybe it's something that you don't even have knowledge of. Maybe sometimes mom and dad are a little bit extra agitated and you don't know why. You're not really sure what's going on. This is what's happening here to Daniel. Daniel is brought in without fault. And to be honest with you, perhaps the most rational thing Daniel could have done was blame God. God, you brought me here to Babylon. And then you bring me through the difficulties with the food. 
And now you send a dream to the king that's going to kill me? Come on. But Daniel has patience. He holds himself in check. And he acts with great wisdom. The man who comes to him, Arioch, is the chief of the guards, but the, the Aramaic is a bit more colorful. He's actually the chief of the butchers. That's the word. You can see how butchers leads to executioners, leads to royal guard. But that really is his job here. There's no irony. Arioch is to come out and to take off some heads. That's his job. He's the chief butcher. And he comes into Daniel, and how does Daniel respond? I have rights. I'm a student. How dare you? No. This is wrong. I'll sacrifice and suffer today. Now look at what Daniel does here in verse 14. He replies with prudence and discretion. Think about that. Here is a believer who is being persecuted for something that is not his fault by a crazy man whom even his own pagan servants think is nuts. And his response is prudence and discretion. Now, discretion here is a very interesting word. It's an Aramaic word that comes from the word to taste. And we might think about it this way, I think, in a good illustration that Daniel has good taste. You know what good taste is, right? You've seen people decorate your home, or you've seen the people that could tell the difference between uh, a 73 Pinot Noir and a 74 Pinot Noir. And you look and you go, what's a Pinot Noir? It's something that's developed over a long period of time. It's something that's almost instinctive, applying it to situations. And that's what happens to Daniel. You see, Daniel has been so steeped in the Word of God that he has taste to obey properly. He's done it so long that it comes naturally to him. And he speaks with great wisdom. He's calm. He says, why is this request so urgent? Think about that. And then he says, you know, I would like to request some time to talk to the king. This is the patience of Daniel. But he's not just a patient man. He's also a prayerful man. You see, he is patient because he's trusting in God. He asks for and receives time from the king of Babylon. And then the very first thing he does is go home and organize a prayer meeting. You notice that? He doesn't go and try and work the wise men. What was his dream last month? How about the month before? Is there any typical pattern to the king's dreams? Come on, help me out here, guys, so we can all live. No, the very first thing he does is he goes home and he organizes a prayer meeting. Why? Because prayer focuses us on God. Have you ever heard the phrase, I am too busy not to pray? You see, prayer focuses our thoughts and our hearts upon God, who gives wisdom, who gives knowledge, who gives power and resolution. Daniel knows that this dream is from God, and he focuses upon God first. Is that what your prayer life is like? When you are faced with a grave difficulty, is the first place you go to God. That's what the Scripture advises us. That's what it means to dare to be a Daniel. To come to the Lord in prayer. He doesn't go straight to the problem. He goes to prayer. And you see, this prayer is founded upon God's Word. You see the prayer of these men? He tells them to seek mercy from the God of heaven. 
This word mercy is the same word that we saw earlier in verse 19 of chapter 1. And it's called compassion there. And you may recall, I mentioned prayer of Solomon at the temple. That God would grant mercy or compassion to the exiles. So you see, they're not only praying, they're praying upon the promise of God that he gave to Solomon and that they have already seen fulfilled in verse 19. The word, the word in my life. This is the foundation of prayer. You see, what Daniel is telling us is you really can trust the word of God. You see, when everything seems like it's lost, when you don't know where you are or what to do, when you don't know which way is up, you have to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as the King of the universe, as the Savior of sinners, that is the only place where you will find rest. Your sin will not go away without it. Your life will not clear up on its own. Only Jesus brings meaning to our life. Daniel has patience. He prays to the living God, and then finally, he turns to praise. This is something else that I think is very interesting. Daniel doesn't rush off to try and work the wise men, but after the prayer meeting, he gets the answer, and he doesn't gallop off to go see the king. Ooh, 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 I got it! Ooh! Now, what does he do? The very first thing he does is get on his knees and worship the God of the universe who has given to him this wisdom. His focus is still on God. Now, I want you to understand when we get in a minute to verse 27 that Daniel's answer of humility in verse 27 is founded upon his worship of God and his prayer to God. You don't just... Bring up humility in a second. It's part of a pattern of living subservient to the living God. This is Daniel's reassurance to the king. And then he gives the answer to the king that shows him really that the one who is ruling is God. There is a ruling God. And he describes to them first God's wisdom. Now, Arioch has given Daniel an opportunity. And I want you to see the difference here. Arioch comes running in in verse 25 and he says, I have found a guy that can do it. I found somebody who fits the bill. You see how he's positioning it? By the way, King, when bonus time comes around, I found the interpreter. And he is the one that can do it. Daniel walks in and how does Daniel respond? Arioch is absolutely right. I've got this under control. Let me tell you the dream and the interpretation. Right? Wouldn't that be our temptation? To rush in? And maybe we even put a pious motive on it. Well, then we can, sh- we can show Nebuchadnezzar what it means to serve God. And that he really needs to believe. Now, look at Daniel's answer here in verse 25. Or, excuse me, verse 27. He says, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery. But, always pay attention when there's a but in the scripture. But, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. You see that? 
Daniel's answer is to point to the wisdom of God. It says as much about Daniel as it says about God. And you see, after all, this is the cry of the believer. I was lost in sin. A miserable husband. A horrible father. A a horrible worker. But God broke in. I did not know which way to go. I was lost. But God, by the gospel of His grace, drew me to Himself. It's the cry of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Daniel does not want to take credit because he knows this is not a parlor trick. This is not that he can do these things better than Arioch or the other wise guys. No, he knows that this is a significant event. That the king of the universe is speaking to the nation of Babylon and the whole world that he is in control. This is not about who can draw the eight out of the pack of cards. This is about God's message to the world. It's also about God's power. And you see, the contrasts here are important. The contrast between the wise men who can't do anything and Daniel who can by God. The contrast between Arioch who's thinking of himself and Daniel who's thinking about God. And it really shows in the contrast who is in control. And it reminds us of what we saw in chapter 1. That God is the one who's in control. And this should not surprise us. God knows the future because God controls it. He doesn't have a secret book that he goes and looks things up in, so he's smarter than us. He is in complete control of everything. That is why he knows the future. His power is evident. Finally, Daniel describes how the purpose of God is found in this. God knows the future. God controls the future. But God does something else. He does something that the wise men say no one else do. He reveals the future. Do you notice that? The wise men say no one can reveal the future. And Daniel says there is a God in heaven who speaks. You see, Allah doesn't speak. Buddha doesn't speak. The Lord God speaks to His people. And knowing this is what's important. Because pursuing the fact that God is in control and that God has a purpose in life is critical for living in a godless culture. It's what gives us purpose and meaning. You see, God is doing a whole host of things here that we're going to see in weeks to come. He is preparing Daniel for more trials to come. He is showing Nebuchadnezzar that he is a little peapod compared to the might of the living God. And he is revealing that he is the powerful God of the universe. You see, this is the purpose of God. This is why this dream has come. The dream has come to show Nebuchadnezzar that God is in control. To affirm for Daniel that the living God is the one to be served and to place him first. And to remind you and me that as we go and look out, we need to repent of our love affair with the things of the world. Of finding satisfaction in everything else. To repent of our love affair with the God of money and the God of security and the God of patriotism. 
and to bow our knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the king of history and the universe. That's what Daniel 2 is telling us. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to bow the knee to King Jesus? Because that is the only way you will survive, ironically, in a culture that hates him. It's the only way.